Amen. Good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. And as you turn there, let me just share with you this, that we've got three more weeks that we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be able to finish out Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. With that in mind, I just want to kind of be up front with you this morning that the next two weeks, the, the passages that we're dealing with, are just they're just heavy passages. And it's, it's one of those things where we certainly want to celebrate who God is. We want to celebrate what God has done. But there are moments in our, our spiritual journey where we need to just sit and listen to God. There's moments where we need to really just evaluate where we are with God, who we are with God, and what does it look like for us to be a follower of Christ? Now, the, the title and topic of the message today is this, Kingdom Come, and, and here's, the, here's the byline on that, use caution. Use caution. You see, I often find myself in a hurry. I imagine many of you are the same way. You're in a hurry, always in a rush, trying to get to the next thing. Some experts call this the tyranny of the urgent. And everything in life, does it not seem urgent? Everything in life seems urgent. You know, the entire Sermon on the Mount is about character. It's about who we are. Not the things that we do, necessarily, but it's about who we are. And ultimately, how who we are impacts what we do, but who are we? Who are we as human beings? Who are we as followers of Christ? Who are we before God? It's about who we are before God, and it's about building character and pursuing Jesus. And listen to this. Building character and pursuing Jesus Christ isn't something that happens overnight. It's not something that we can do in a hurry. It takes time. Jesus is drawing in Matthew chapter 7. He's drawing this entire passage to a conclusion. He's bringing us to a point and basically what he's saying here, and you may want to jot this down, is, and, and that is this. You need to make a choice. You need to make a choice. And so I want to read this passage to you this morning. Matthew chapter 13, or seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, on the heels of the golden rule, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is, is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so ultimately what we find in this passage of Scripture is this. You can run through life and not realize the road you're on. And I imagine there's many of us that we are running through life with a sense of urgency. And there might be some in here today that you do not know the road that you're on. You do not know where you're going to spend eternity. And you don't know where... Uh, or what your destiny is going to be. And then there's those of us in this room today who know and follow Jesus Christ, 
And yet, we need to sit in this moment and, and next week and really use caution and consider what does it look like for us to be followers of Christ and for us to consider and pursue eternity. What Jesus is saying here is, are you going to allow these truths to transform your life? Will you follow Jesus? Because ultimately, you can do all the right things. You can have a life filled with moral attributes, moral behavior. You can live a life doing all the right things and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus is teaching his disciples the significance of making the right choice. And so the big idea today, and what we kind of want to think about this morning as we use caution, and that is this, there is wisdom in using caution when considering eternity. There's wisdom in that. And I use the word wisdom because there's a lot of us that know things, but there's a difference between knowing things and knowing how things work. There's wisdom in that. Eternity isn't something that you take lightly. And for many folks, they don't think a lot about death, and they don't think a lot about the life to come. They have very little interest in in what is next. What will the next life bring? What will that life be like? What will eternity be? Where will I fit in in that moment? As Jesus was teaching his disciples, he wanted to remind them and teach them the powerful, exclusive truth of the gospel. And that truth is this, is that redemption, restoration, to be rescued is through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, I struggle with the idea of slowing down, just breaking the routine of what I have on my to-do list and thinking about, considering with caution what is truly significant and what's worthy of my thought, my time, my effort, and my energy. Because see, God's kingdom is occupied by those who cautiously consider their lives in the light of the gospel. They are followers of Christ, and they're more concerned with who they are, not the things they do or the things that they accomplish or the successes that they have in life or the achievements that they achieve. They're concerned with who they are. They think about the road they're on. This is a cautious concern that that you and me and each of us must consider, and we need to do that, even if you know Christ this morning, even if you've known him for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you need to take a moment today and just think about, with caution, where you're going to spend eternity, what eternity is going to be like, and are you ready to meet God? That's just something we need to do. This week, I was flipping through pictures on my phone. Two years ago, we moved here from Chicago, and it seems like that two years has gone by so quickly. But even quicker than that, I started flipping through pictures of our family and, like, our family vacations. And I'm telling you, it seems like the days are long and the years are short. And I don't know if it's because I'm approaching what they would call midlife. I know the 70 and 80 year olds are laughing at me when I say that, but I'm being serious. And honestly, I started thinking about my kids. I just, I start seeing all the good things in them, but I start thinking about the areas that they need to grow. 
And then I start thinking about, man, did I fail them in this way? Did I not take enough time in this? Did I, did I, did I, did I take shortcuts in raising them? And all this stuff just washes over me and floods me because here's the thing. We rush through life. Everything is urgent. And the things that are really important, like our marriage and our kids and our, our walk with God, they take a backseat to what's really important. I want us today, as followers of Jesus Christ, to pause and with caution consider what God has for us according to his word. Jesus is cautioning us in this text to evaluate some things in our life, and he's demanding that we slow down and we look at what is important, and, and what is important is what's on the inside. What's really important to God, what will really matter a thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, a hundred thousand years from now, what will really matter then is who you are. What really matters is do you know Christ? Have you spent your life pursuing him and heading in that trajectory? And there, there are areas in my life where I can say yes and amen. I've followed Christ. I've been faithful to Christ. I've, I've pursued him. And there's some other areas of my life where I have ignored him. Other areas of, I, of my life where I've potentially allowed my heart and my conscience to be seared or hardened in some ways. And in areas of my life where I've just flat out ignored what God has wanted for me. And I'm telling you, that ought to concern us. It concerns me when I shut God out of areas of my life. And I want to encourage you not to do that today because eternity, who we are and who we follow, is worthy of our care, careful consideration. And so caution number one is this. I want to caution you this morning to enter the straight gate. We see this in verses 13 and 14. It says in the passage, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. In verse 14, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The first caution he gives his disciples is a caution considering the direction of their life. Jesus can, confronted his followers with two possible eternal choices. Jesus was preventing them from following the Pharisees or anyone else that might lead them down the path of ruin. And Jesus was the one, he was the only one that would lead them to life and eternity. And so Jesus, what he was doing in our text and what we find and what we know of him is that Jesus was speaking of religion and the religious requirements of the Pharisees. You see, they, they believed that fulfilling religious requirements led to salvation when in fact it was the road to ruin. And I would say this today, and I've been saying it for almost 20 years since I've been in pastoral ministry, I believe that religion will send more people to hell than anything else in this world. People want to do in order to get in. And Jesus says, I've already done it. It's on the cross. And, and, and the only way, the only way to Christ, the only way to, to being right with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the Pharisees were teaching this, this religion and the religious requirements. Jesus didn't come to establish rules. You can mark that down. He came to establish righteousness, and He is the righteous one. And when we come to Christ, He imputes or He, he accounts to us a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that is given to us that has been purchased by His own blood so that we can stand before a holy God, righteous 
uncondemned, freely forgiven of all of our sins. And all of God's people said, Amen? Now, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were morally upright people. You looked at them and you thought, oh, they, they obviously must be right with God. And this is what's fascinating about the religious people of that day. They, they lived outwardly and they, uh, in a way that was moral. They were, they were righteous in so many ways. Jesus would stand in Jerusalem, and I've been there, and uh, you see all of the the, the, the graves that, that cover the, the, the old city. And you can imagine uh, standing there and Jesus standing over the grave sites and he says, your, your insides, who you are, is like an open sepulcher. Inside, the Pharisees was nothing but death, destruction, and ruin. And what I find interesting in many of our lives, and myself included, is that we tend to live in very moral ways, and yet we're mean as the devil. And we're angry, and we're bitter, and we're resentful, and we don't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, faith, goodness, kindness, and self-control. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that religion leads to ruin and relationship leads to life. You might write that down today. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that, that religion leads to ruin and relationship with him leads to life because there's no substitute for following Jesus in the way, on the narrow way. When you follow him, listen, it will cost you and you will leave behind your sin. I want to make that clear because I think at times I've said this and I haven't gone far enough in saying this, and that is this, yes and amen, we must have a relationship to Jesus Christ, but that relationship also involves a moment of and a life of repentance. And that means we turn from our sin. It means that we turn from our self-righteousness and we turn to Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I want to ask you this morning, did, did my profession, did your profession cost me anything? You can walk on the broad way and keep your baggage of sin and self-righteousness, but if we enter the narrow road, we give up those things. Ultimately, Jesus is calling us to repentance, to turn to Him and Him alone. We leave our sin and our self-righteousness and we leave those things behind and we follow him. And the very clear truth this morning of this text is that Jesus plus nothing else is what saves us. Are you with me today? Amen? Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus in church membership or Jesus in baptism or Jesus in my good works or Jesus and you fill in the blank. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's everything. You cannot walk on two roads in two different directions at the same time. It's impossible. Jesus used the picture of the narrow doorway. And I want you to get a picture of this today. Jesus used the picture of a narrow doorway because you can't get through with anything. Listen to this. You can't get through the door with anything other than him. You walk through the door with Jesus, but you've got to leave everything else behind. You've got to leave it behind. There's no room for anything other than Jesus. He's not, a, he's not an addition. He's everything. And that should be eye-opening. There will be far more people in hell than in heaven. And so it's imperative to find the narrow door and walk through it with Jesus. The second caution is this. He says in 
Verse number 15, beware of false prophets, beware of false teachers. For some, this might sound odd to consider, but he wants his disciples to be informed. And I I want you to know this today. We follow the teachings of Jesus, not men. That That was me saying for you to say amen. We follow the teachings of Jesus and not men. We do that. But we don't have ex cathedra. We don't have the apocrypha. We don't have uh, in addition to the word of God. Um, I've seen on some church signs, don't put a period where God puts a comma, you know. And I think we need to be careful with some of that. Because at the end of the day, like we follow Jesus Christ and the teachings of the word of God, Jesus alone. His word is our source of truth. And Jesus warned those who follow him to be aware of false teachers. And he said to be on guard against teachers who suggest any other way into the kingdom of God. And we have to be careful who we follow and who we let speak into our life. And there are those who, whose teaching and influence can, can lead us down the broad way, which is why I think Acts 17.11 is, is so vitally important because a lot of people come to church and the only the only spiritual nourishment you get all week is when you come to church on Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell you, you will not survive on that. The Bible teaches us in Acts 17, 11, there were no more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word daily and the scriptures. And, and, and they would go home every day and they would study and find out if those things were so. As, a, as, a, as a, a minister of the gospel, as a preacher of the word of God, if I ever taught anything from this pulpit, I would hope that someone in this church would have the boldness to come and say, Pastor, is this really in the Bible? Did you say this accurately? In fact, every Monday morning we sit down uh, and we do an evaluation. I say, hey, what did I say this week that was just plain out stupid? Like, can I help me know what not to say next week, right? But then I'll say, hey, you know, am I saying this correctly? We do this on Wednesdays. We do a message I'm like, hey, is this coming? And this week we had like a 15, 20-minute discussion on a, on a section of the Scripture. Why? Because handling the Word of God is so vitally important. And so we want to investigate. And, and listen, I'm not the source of truth. You know who is? Jesus. Jesus and His Word is the source of truth. Now, there are two things primarily that, that you can judge or examine in a teacher's life. These aren't an exhaustive list, but, but they can help us evaluate those who we follow, those who we listen to, those who we let into our life. There's two. The first one is this, teaching. The teaching of a prophet, the teaching of a pastor, the teaching of a teacher. And the question is this, is are they teaching the gospel? That's the first and primary issue of any teacher who's called to handle God's word. The gospel is the message that God transforms our lives from the inside out and restores us back to a holy God. Now, are there other doctrines that are important? Yes, absolutely. But this is a first-tier issue. This is a first-tier doctrine. Nothing comes close to the doctrine of having a relationship with Jesus as the means to salvation. And and this is primarily what this text is pointing out and teaching us in every single verse. Does this pastor, does this teacher, does this person that I'm allowing to influence my heart, my mind, and my life, are they teaching the gospel and is their life being transformed by it? The second one is this, is transformation. And this is tough for me to even talk about. And then a lot of you look at me and you're like, oh, you're a pastor and you put me on a platform and gosh, I wish you wouldn't do that. But the, the reality is this, is, is, the, is the life of the one teaching becoming transformed by the gospel he teaches. And I, I want to make a disclaimer. 
no pastor is perfect, but every pastor should be in progress. No pastor is perfect, but every pastor should be in progress. Most pastors have struggles. They have setbacks spiritually. Sadly, many pastors today, they struggle with sin and they struggle with loneliness and mental and emotional health issues. In the last several years, it's been so unfortunate to see many uh, high-profile pastors like Darren Patrick and others who have, who have ultimately taken their life. They've committed suicide because the pressure of pastoring is so significant and so difficult and so challenging. I was on the phone this week with my father-in-law and for over 50 years, for 50 years, he's been doing this. 50 years. He's been pastoring and loving and preaching and, 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 and enduring the work of the ministry. Every teacher should be moving forward in their love and their pursuit of Jesus. Will they struggle, have setbacks? Absolutely. But ultimately, they confess and they forsake sin and they, they get the help they need through the body of Christ and through counseling. I can honestly say, and I, I'm not saying this as an excuse, but I'll say this. It's, this is my story. I'm thankful to, to have been a part of churches, and, and I believe Southgate is this way too, that, that while I'm not perfect, I'm in progress. The other night I was in a meeting, and, and, and someone pointed out to me, hey, when you do this, it comes off funny. And I'm like, you know, thank you for pointing that out. The staff does that too. They point this out to me, and it's something I'm working on, right? And right before the meeting, someone coached me up and said, hey, you know, as a friend, pointed out an area of my life where I, I need to work on. And that's my story. You know why? And, and I know this is going to be like really strange for some of you today, but I just want to be upfront about it. I struggle with sin in very deep ways. I do. And, and just yesterday morning, my wife and I, we were sitting in our room, and uh, we, she just bought these two beautiful blue chairs at a garage sale for, what was it, 40 bucks? And so I just wanted her, everyone to know that, that she's a thrifter, right? And so she got these two beautiful, classy chairs, and we're just sitting there talking. And, and, and I'm just one of those people that I want to know, why I do the things that I do? What is it that's motivating me to act like a fool? What is it that's motivating me to choose other things rather than the right things or the way of righteousness? I struggle with this very deeply, and it saddens me to know the pain that I've caused others, yet I understand the power of confession and accountability. Proverbs 28, 13 says that, that he that covers, covers his sin will not find mercy, but he that confesses and forsake, uh, forsakes his sin uh, shall prosper, shall, shall find mercy. And so while not perfect, I want to, and I pray that this would be your story today, while you are not perfect, and let me just, can, I, can we just level the playing around today? No one in this room today is perfect. And if you think you've got all this stuff figured out, you're, you're self-righteous. Because none of us, I don't care how old you are and how long you've been walking with God, the heart is complicated in so many ways. Next week, I'm going to be teaching on this, and I think they're going to pull this up here in just a second, but we must be careful of deception. Thinking that we're better than we are, but the greatest danger is self-deception. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at deceiving myself. I'm very good at making excuses. I'm very good at rationalizing why I do some of the things that I do. And that's the point Jesus was trying to make. The Pharisees were leading people to ruin because they kept the rules, but they didn't have a relationship. And here's the last caution, and that is this. 
And in verses 16 through 20, he talks about fruit. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into fruit today because we're going to do that next week. So hang in there. And I, and I trust that you're all going to be back next week and bring a friend. Amen? No, that was not very encouraging. <laughs> Amen. 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 What's he talking about? All right. We're all going to be back next week. Okay. And we're going to bring a friend. Amen. All right. Jesus, with clarity, states the evidence of his followers. He says in verse 13, or I'm sorry, in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them. You'll know them. You'll know my people. You'll know them. You'll, you'll know them because of their fruit. Now, the Bible defines fruit in many ways, but the best way to look at the fruit of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's found in Galatians chapter 5. And the reason that's the best way to look at our fruit from our life is because it is a fruit that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means that we have been, uh, uh, we've been redeemed by God, forgiven by Jesus, indwelt by the Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. And the fruit of the Spirit is, as I said earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self-control. And that's, that's one of the ways that we know that we actually follow Jesus because organically, organically, not forced by nature or forced by community or forced by others, we organically are producing fruit that uh, comes from something that has happened to us on the inside. And so it affects the outside. A man's no by his fruit, and his fruit is the byproduct of a relationship with Jesus, not his ability to keep the rules, play the game, or act the part. Essentially, the most powerful evidence of one's eternity is the fruit that his life bears out before God and others for the kingdom. A life that has bad fruit is a life that has never experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus in their life. He produces good fruit in us. And it's possible for people to know the right language, believe intellectually the right doctrines, obey the right rules, and listen, and still not be saved. To not be born again, to not be a follower of Christ, to not be on their way to heaven. Ultimately, you can do all those things and not know Jesus. The point Jesus is making is that true faith in Christ changes the life and produces fruit for God's glory. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying in our text today is your life will be changed. It will be transformed. It will be made new. It will be different. It will not be forced on you. It will be a byproduct of Him in you as you walk with him and follow him in the way for the kingdom. And so I just ask you this question today, did my decision for Christ change my life? <laughs> Are you any different now than you were a year ago? Five years ago? Ten years ago? Are you still struggling with the same anger? Are you still struggling with the same greed? The same gluttony? Are you still struggling with the same impatience that you've always had? Or is God slowly, methodically, intentionally changing who you are from the inside out? Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. A lot of us like to think that we chose this thing called Jesus. And Jesus says, nope. 
You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've been chosen by God. And not just chosen by God, but you have been chosen and ordained and appointed by God to be a fruit bearer for the kingdom of God. Anything less than that means that you aren't following Jesus. And that's not me saying that. That's the word of God. J.D. Greer in his book, Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart. And if you've ever struggled with your salvation and you've ever really struggled to, to kind of think through, like, and I did this, man, for years. I just really struggled, you know, because I got saved when I was five years old. My Uncle Clifford had died, and I asked my mom, I said, hey, where did Uncle Clifford go? And she said, well, you know, Uncle Clifford didn't know Jesus, and so because of that, he's not going to heaven. And I was five, so she didn't get into the whole thing about hell and, and, and weeping and gnashing of teeth and, you know, all that stuff. But she began to explain to me the gospel, and that later on, uh, I, later on that year, I think, I can't remember all of it, but I remember kneeling beside my dad's bedside, and my dad led me to Christ as a five-year-old. And I knew that I was saved because there were things in my life that God would convict me of. God would say, hey, you can't do that anymore. You're a follower of Christ. And so I knew that. But because I was so young, I began to ask the question as I got older, because I started to figure out what sin was, and I figured out sin's kind of fun, right? And the Bible says that. Sin is fun for a season. It does say that until it catches up with you. And so there were times where I said, man, I know that I want to follow Christ. And I've kind of felt like, Paul, the things I want to do, I'm not doing those things. But the things I don't want to do, I end up doing that kind of stuff. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? And it's through Jesus Christ. And so I began to struggle with my salvation. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about next week. And that is this. Listen, that you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I remember being in Bible college over on 6280 East Kearney Street at Baptist Bible College. And I remember going through my apologetics class. And at the time, I was reading through Ephesians chapter 1. And for years, man, I just I kept, I kept praying, God, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I mean, I'm a Bible college student studying, you know, to, to preach the Bible. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if I know Jesus. <laughs> I remember sitting in Zimmerman and, and kneeling uh, uh, in my, my dorm room at the desk, and I'm reading through Ephesians 1, and I just started to notice in that passage that the Bible said that God chose me, and He ordained me, and He adopted me, and God redeemed me, and then He sealed me with the Holy Spirit of His promise. And, and I, don't, I don't know whether or not some of you in the room today believe in election or Calvinism and all those things, and that's, that's not necessary. When the search team asked me, they said, well, are you a Calvinist? And I said, I believe what, what Spurgeon believes. Spurgeon said there was a door, and over the door it says, whosoever will may come. And I walked through that door. And then I turned around and I looked at the same door and it said, you were chosen. <laughs> you know? And, I, and, and that, that afternoon, I'd been underlining in my Bible. And I still got that Bible in my office. I'd been underlining in there. And I, was, I, I began to acknowledge all the things that God, listen to me, that God did for me that I could not do for myself. He chose me. He adopted me. He he. he he, he rescued me. He redeemed me. He sealed me. And so a great book to read is J.D. Greer's book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Because he says Christians, like the Apostle Paul, continue to struggle with sin. Often unsuccessfully for the rest of their lives. Isn't that hopeful? But the struggle, the struggle, this is what gives me hope. The struggle is proof of their new nature. And if you're questioning whether or not you really are following Jesus, listen, a lost man isn't struggling with that. He's going on about his day. 
He's pursuing the things that he wants to pursue, living the life that he wants to live, finding success in the things that he wants to find success in. But the man or woman of God that really cares about eternity and the kingdom and their relationship with God, they actually think about and wonder about these things. And those who don't are not on the straight and narrow road. So this morning, I want to ask you, isn't it worth considering where you stand with God? You might be saved this morning. You might not be saved this morning. But know this, you ought to use caution in thinking about the road that you're on. Jesus is narrowing this thing, and he's saying, look, you've got to make a choice. Who are you going to follow? What is your life going to be about? So this morning, I want to challenge you to slow down for a moment. And if you're like me, i got 15 things i got to do today. got lunch after this, got a meeting tonight, got a Bible study after that. Pray to God I get a nap somewhere in between, you know. But slow down, because it do us well. It would do us all well to consider with caution our standing with God. For some this morning, you may know that you're saved, but there are things that you've allowed in your life that are not aligned with Jesus, and that would be me today. For others, you may have intellectually ascended to some beliefs, but you've never fully embraced a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yeah, you're going to lose some things, but you, what you gain is far more significant, far more valuable than anything that you would give up to follow Jesus. So this morning you have to decide, and you cannot be indifferent to the choice that Jesus lays out before each of us as his followers. Could I have you just bow your heads for a minute this morning? How many of you could say to me today, Pastor Jason, I, I was certain to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that I'm right with God. I know, that I'm, I, I know that I'm forgiven of my sin. And I know that if I were to slip out into eternity today, that heaven is my home. Could you just lift your hand and let me see those today? Yeah, amen. How many of you are here this morning to say, Pastor, I'm not certain that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't know that I'm right with God. And I don't know that if I were to slip out into eternity today that heaven is my home. Would you let me pray for you today? Is there anyone that's like that today that's in here this morning? Amen. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I, I want my life to be aligned with the path that God has me on. And there are some areas of struggle that I have, some areas of selfishness, some areas of sin, some areas of misalignment. And it's not the person that God wants me to be. Would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Amen, amen. Boy, hands just scattered across the room today. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, would you just please just for a moment stand to your feet and let me pray with you? Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and we thank you for your love for us. And God, this is a heavy text. This isn't the milk of the word, it's the meat of the word. And I pray this morning that pray that we would consider our life, consider eternity. God, I don't do this very well, at least not very often. So Father, I pray this morning that we might see your hand at work in our hearts and our lives and that we would just see a fresh awakening in our hearts to walk on the narrow path to follow you, to pursue you, to love you, to be committed to you. That our pursuit of you might cost us something, that we might rearrange our lives and our priorities so that we can be closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I'm not going to pressure you today. I'm not going to try to draw this thing out. But would you use caution today? Would you consider eternity? Would you reflect? on your life 
And even though for many of us in this room today, Christ has saved us, he has redeemed us, he has rescued us, is our life a reflection of his kingdom? At times, for me, it is. In other seasons, when I'm lonely or sad or discouraged or angry, or you fill in the blank, I end up pursuing other things. I get out of alignment with who God wants me to be, who I am supposed to be. Imagine if it's that way for me, it's probably like that for many of you that are in here today. So I just want to encourage you to come to the altar this morning and say, God, I want my heart, I want my life, I want the trajectory of my life to be aligned with you. And here's the beautiful thing about following Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed things up. It doesn't matter how far down the wrong road that you've gone. Jesus is, the thing that Jesus does he takes the waste that we have in our lives and he restores it with bountiful blessings when we pursue him and when we ask him to restore us and redeem us. Because God, he can make all things new. And all you have to do this morning is ask him. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning as we sing together.